The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness, where on every episode of this show, we're going to uncover the secrets to being superpowered and being the superwoman you're meant to be. Joining me today is a special treat. I have with me uh, Joan Cool, who's founder of Why Millennials Matter. She's an author, a speaker, and a champion of women in leadership. Through her international speaking engagements, research, and consulting, she has guided leaders from more than 60 countries and transformed the internal workings of some of the world's largest organizations, including Goldman Sachs, Eli Lilly, University of North Carolina Business School, and the New York Mets. She's the author of three books, including Dig Your Heels in Navigating Corporate BS and Build a Company You Deserve. Welcome to the show, Joan. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I love the message that you share. I think there's a lot of synergy in our mission. And Joan, I want to make sure for everybody listening out there today that we got your last name correct. It's Cool, K-U-H-L, correct? You got it. Yeah, Joan Cool. I love it. All right. Well, I have a personal interest in this topic, guys. We talk all the time about being well, about being super women, about being supercharged. And many of you, by the time you reach me in the exam room, you've been on this trajectory of your career. You've accomplished stuff. You've driven through. Joan was just telling me she took my power type test before she came on and she's a boss lady. And and that really is a dominant type out there. But like I preach all the time. It has health consequences. It impacts the way we interact with our partners and our family and then even the people at work. So understanding who you are is critical. And then I think for women, we've been in this lost space of how do we prove our worth? How do we prove our our capability in a workplace environment? Even as I've built a company, I've, I've hit challenges along the way. So we are going to talk about leadership and how to be a strong woman leader, but also to take care of yourself and to protect yourself and your self-interest in the process. Joan, tell me how you got into this area of women's leadership to begin with, and how would you tie it to the area of health and wellness? Well, I have always been really invested in organizations that served girls, from Girl Scouts to Girls Hope to Girls on the Run, and I now sit on the board of Girls Inc. of New York City. And what I found moving from my 14 years in corporate to then launching my own business that was really centered around investing in early leaders, that everything that millennials wanted, that the next generation was craving, was what women deserved and still weren't getting access to. So flexibility, meaning and purpose, relationships like sponsors and mentors, financial security. So all of that, being a mom of two daughters and my own career and looking around at the incredible women that I've worked with at the, the companies that I've consulted with, I thought, this is the time to really dig our heels in and demand what we deserve in the workplace. And it's so important because even to this day, in fact, my 11-year-old is doing a little dissertation on women's rights. She goes, Mom, did you know that women still don't get equal pay for equal work? I'm like, yes, I do. I know all about that. So how does that impact women, though? When they, So what are you seeing? So you see women in the workplace. You see them either in a corporate culture or trying to build their company either way. What are the ramifications of some of this when it comes to women? How, how are you seeing it play out? Yeah, I think, and I love that, that, uh, just that story of you and your daughter. I have the same examples with my own as well, where they're just, it doesn't make any sense to them, this, this lack of equality. Um, so what I see is this. I think right now, because I've worked with 
so many millennials at these global corporations or on college campuses and business schools. It's a lot of glamorizing of particularly targeted millennial women and women in general about jumping ship or becoming a girl boss and starting your own thing. And there's less resources and really encouragement and tools for the women that are at companies and work so hard to get in the door, but they're suffocating from the culture and to the point of wellness. They're burning out. They're striving to be this perfectionist model or archetype of leadership. And it just works completely against everything that makes us happy, healthy, and ultimately an authentic leader. And that was where I felt like there's an opportunity here. I mean, so many people are talking about, uh, you know, anti, you know, stopping striving to be this perfect example, but wellness and like just really understanding that that makes you a better performer at work. I think that that is the big opportunity right now for really for women and for employers to understand that this should be you know, a guaranteed benefit. This is, I think, ultimately like a, a human right opportunity as well, I think, for everyone to know that um, that's a, the most important priority. And so, you know, again, and I love that you touched on that because I see it all the time too. And I'm about 10 years into running my company and over 20 years into being a physician, but, uh, the business component of it, it's been interesting to watch because in the last couple of years, when I came on board, I had a hope and a dream. I wasn't dreaming about creating a big company. I was dreaming more about helping folks and I didn't have business as a motivation, but it's been interesting in the last year or two to see all this, right? Like, Hey, I'm a girl boss and girl, wash your face and you can do this and you can do that. What's the disconnect? What are you seeing as a disconnect between, hey, rah, 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 we can do anything we set our our minds to, you know, we can go, we can go build these teams and build these companies. And what's the disconnect that young women today have when it comes to, hey, I'm going to go do this versus what the reality of it really is? Well, I guess there's like three points I'll make about that. One, I I still do believe that we need um, the inspiration and that the, the diversity of voices that are out there right now from you know, a girl boss to Erin um, Simone and, you know, all the different women that are just helping women be their best confident self, that is great. The thing is, is that we can't just inspire women. We have to arm them. So that becomes part two of the, the gap that I think is missing is, you know, that we are all working in companies and industries that weren't created for women, right? They were created hundreds, thousands of years ago and we can disrupt them. And there is a lot of work to be done around pay, around benefits, around just day-to-day culture. I always say that when I run workshops with women and men about gender bias. You know, I say this is, you know, sometimes this is completely unseen and unconscious, but it's like a thousand paper cuts when you're constantly interrupted in a meeting, uh, when you are not uh, given the high-profile assignment because you just had a baby, yet you'd never make that consideration for uh, a man in the office when they're having a child. So, that's the thing. So that's like the third part is just really understanding how prevalent this is, what it looks like. Because I, what I hear most from women and men is that they just don't know. A, maybe they don't believe that they can change the company they're in. Maybe it feels too big. It feels like the type, turning the Titanic. And two, they don't have any like real world examples. Tell me how to just take step one. It just seems um, too complicated. And I think that's the opportunity. 
So you have you, in your book, you talk about a lot of different visualization techniques uh, that women can use sort of in this environment where maybe they're feeling disempowered or they're feeling like their voice isn't getting heard. Talk to us about, you know, some of those tools like, yes, it's great to have the inspiration. Yes, it's great to go out there and do that. But what are some of the tangible tools that that we want to prep young women, somebody like my daughter who might run a company someday? What are what are some of these tools that we need to prep them with before they go out into this world of business? So I divided the, the book up into three parts. The first part is making the case. The second is making it happen. And third is making work worth it. The first part about making the case, I do think that data is powerful. And so I think that we have to constantly arm ourselves with the numbers, understand that this isn't just the nice thing to do. This is the smart thing to do for business. So from a visualization standpoint, I think that there's this rational, logical part that everyone needs to know about. You know, what industry are you in? Are you interested in sports? Well, look at the numbers right now. Look at the companies you're interested in. Look at who runs them. And what's the percentage of women? Get as much data so that you have your eyes wide open. Um, and then the second part about really actually visualizing and using that mental technique to imagine the possibilities. So some people know how to do it for themselves when they're thinking about um, more like a physical goal, but actually thinking about the day-to-day environment. What do you want to encounter on a day-to-day basis? The type of people you want around? Where do you get the most energy? And so in really in detail, I walk through in that first part, this visualization exercise of just imagining where you would thrive, that type of environment, and then breaking it down to say what factors have to be in place. And this is a tool for somebody that's young, that's thinking about interviewing at different places. They can ask the right questions about what it's really like to work there, what the culture is really like. It's for a leader that says, you know what, like I, I'm running on, on empty here. Something is wrong. Let me look back at the last year and say, what was a really good day? What was happening? How can I replicate that more for myself and my teammates? And, you know, that's why people like Mia Hamm and Oprah Winfrey, mm-hmm. super successful people use visualization because it actually improves performance and it actually keeps you accountable to saying, you know, this is the result I wanted and then mapping out how to get there. I love that. So that's a technique that we could use every day, every month, every quarter or so to kind of really set our goals. How do we stay accountable to to what we visualize, though? How I I do a lot of visualization personally, but then in the pulling of the day and the stretching of the day and the days turn into weeks sometimes, I don't hold myself often accountable to my visions. What is a great way to do that? This is my favorite piece of advice, and I'm experimenting it with my five-year-old daughter and also with several of, of the women that I, that I work with um, through the Dig Your Heels and, you know, book experience. But basically, you know, first we've got to write it down, right? So it's just like jotting that. It doesn't have to be this elaborate, long story, but there's some bullets that usually are present when you're visualizing something you want, whether it's, again, the, the environment, the, the things that you need to have that give you energy, the type of people or lack of interaction with people or the things that you're doing. And then I think that part about talking to somebody. So, you know, that's why I talked to my daughter about, um, you know, there's a new activity that she is embarking on and what is she looking forward to? What makes her excited? What makes her a little bit nervous? You know, what can we try to do to really feel our most, you know, excited and happy self. So that's what I talk about with her when I talk to a woman who is a vice president at, you know, a sports um, 
organization, and we're talking about how there is a traditional environment at the executive meetings, and we talk about, okay, you know, what could we do about setting up the room? How could we visualize that to change the power dynamic? And then it's the accountability part is when you talk to somebody about it and you've got this big thing in mind, it's following up with them. And sometimes we get busy. And so I just feel like right now I've seen women bending over backwards for each other, even for me through this book launch, um, Mm -hmm. just to follow up and say, have you seen that happen? Are you seeing a change? Are you seeing a difference? And I think that's what gives us courage to keep taking one step forward too. So visualize, ask those challenging questions. Are we seeing that visualization move, move in the right direction? And I guess as a businesswoman turning to your team too, correct. And like really getting some feedback from them and getting, getting input from them that, you know, kind of as a lone ranger, which position sort of teaches you to be it, it, that was a huge learning curve for me is to, to understand how to go back to the team or how to observe even not even talk so much, but how to observe the team a little bit and see what was happening there. You know, you talk a little bit about the visualization component, which I think is amazing. And so many successful people use it and I use it too. again, accountability, I still struggle with a little bit, but you know, what else can we do if we're trying to create a toolbox for women in business, you know, inspired women, empowered women, what else can they do to, to kind of get where they need to go and then still protect their boundaries within a company? Well, I think that, um, having the personal priorities, be really clear about those, and then being able to talk about those at work. There's a story of a woman, um, Teresa, that I share in my book, how she always, um, as she, she was always ambitious, she always wanted to climb the ladder at this huge global healthcare company. She wanted to work there all of like her college years, she wanted to be a lifer there. But there got to, there got a point, there came to a point where she thought, maybe this isn't the company for me, which was really upsetting to her because she felt like to be a leader in manufacturing, she was supposed to move to a specific geography. She had to take on this travel schedule. She has two kids. One of um, her daughters in a wheelchair, so has mm. um, just thinking about living in in locations that are, you know, friendly for a child with disabilities. You know, she felt more comfortable in the U.S. and, and certain places, certain urban geographies. And her husband has a big job too, and they were a couple that went into this as dual career earners. And so I share that story because what happened with her is there was this moment where the, the, the light bulb went on when she had a conversation with an older mentor who said, you know, you need to stop thinking about these things as limitations and understand that these are your values and that you shouldn't change for this company. This company needs to change for you. You're too talented to walk away. And so her getting really clear on, I'm going to write these things down. I'm not going to start talking about them from this negative place of like, oh, but I need this or I need that flexibility or I need this. Like, I need these things because I'm my best for you. I will be loyal to this organization. This is how I thrive. Totally changed the game. It was just, it's it's just so um, unpredictable how many doors open when you have that shift internally and you start projecting that and talking differently. Um, so that's, I just think that's a tool, too, is don't think about the things that you want, the flexibility things, the family things, the personal things as limitations. Think about them as values and use those to guide those conversations. 
Okay, but hang on. You said something that is gold that I want to make sure we capture. So, you know, I do, again, I have a 50%, over 50% company, all, almost all, I think we have two guys, but almost all women. And so, um, and that was not intentional. We're not discriminating. It just has fallen that way. But anyhow, um, so it makes for a lot of interesting dynamics. And some of those dynamics include the majority of women, I think, all of us, myself, and you know, I put myself in that category. We want flexibility and we want the ability to, um, you know, to, to really find our core values and exercise them at work. But what here is, here's what's happening. And my husband runs a business too, and I'm around a lot of other business owners as an owner, as a CEO, here's what it often comes out as hearing. I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want without expression of how it may benefit the company or how the entire company could shift positively in a certain direction, uh, you know, while still protecting the company, which is its own living, breathing entity. How does somebody who genuinely needs maybe a new set of circumstances, a new, a new work condition, different opportunities, how do they bring that to an owner of a company, their leaders, their bosses, their mentors without completely uh, putting up a wall when sometimes those people, you know, don't have a wall to begin with, but it's all they're hearing on the other end of the table is I need, I want, I'm taking, you know, and as an owner of a company, you often end up feeling drained by these conversations. They don't feel like they're a two-way street. They often feel like they're a one-way street. So how can women, all women, you know, and I've sat on both sides of that table. So how can all women, you know, improve that conversation so their voices are heard in a productive way and not in a way that's perceived more as whining or taking or, uh, or just grabbing more from a, from a basket when it seems like everybody else is putting in 150 or 180%. I think that this is a brilliant, important discussion, which is, this is why I talk about being a positive catalyst for change, because part of it is disarming, disarming, um, others that think that, you know, the fight for equality or feminism is some like aggressive one-sided thing. It really just means equal. So to your point, when thinking about the values that you have and the things that you need to be your best at work, you have to absolutely draw a direct line to what the business needs are. There's another story in the book from Stephanie Epstein that she talks about filling in the gaps, thinking about the things that you have that completely uh, you know, innovate the business or a new perspective. So this takes some thought, and I think it's a it's a mindset shift. And for women in particular, you look back, and this is why we often encourage in your toolbox to have negotiation skills and spend time to think about it. Because negotiation isn't a one way. I win, you lost, right? So that's mm-hmm. your point of saying, especially in small businesses in particular, where everybody really is leaning on one another, whether you're thinking about leave policies, uh, vacation time, flexibility of hours, or professional development dollars. It's really like, okay, this is what I need, but this is what I'm able to give. Um, and, and that's why this, when we talk about flexibility, it's not like Friday's off. These mm-hmm. old school think it's like going to fit in a box. It's really a dynamic conversation, and that requires tools. It requires women to really, again, have this critical thinking, visualization, strategizing, and thinking about what things am I not willing to compromise because they just, they, they send me in a spiral. Um, mm-hmm. I have one woman in, um, in the book, Michelle Carnahan, who is a senior executive in the pharmaceutical industry. So it talks about, you know, for her, 
she just had three non-negotiables that um, had to do with her family life and for herself. It just, you know, they weren't striving for perfection, but if she had those three things, she felt like, okay, you know, I've got some things ticking well at, at home. But then it's also thinking about constantly about to continue to retain those three things that she needed. What did that allow her to do more for the company? How do you, you know, how do people, how often do people think about helping their boss win? Or, you know, we're constantly thinking about, oh, my boss is holding me back. And um, there's a lot of challenging managers out there. But do we really manage up well enough? Do we really think about what their goals are and how we can be a part of that? It allows us to have all the things we need a lot quicker, a lot easier. Um, you know, if we are thinking about it from, you know, the holistic, we're a part of this organization's mission. This organization does well, we do well. Um, but, you know, nobody, you said this before about the loner mentality. This has to be a constant conversation by the company. There have to be town right. hall meetings, whether your team is a five or a five, you know, 50,000. You have mm-hmm. to constantly train leaders to get people to be vulnerable. And, and what I found with young professionals in particular, they never understood what their day-to-day work was really doing to make a difference at the company. They always felt replaceable. Mm-hmm. And so that's another opportunity, too, is for, for leaders, managers, bosses, CEOs, owners to explain, like, you know, here's the cost to me by doing this. I want you to have this. Help me work through this. Because everybody learns more, I think, about the business and that experience. What great advice. And for everybody out there listening, if you're a young woman, an older woman, you're entering the workplace or you're starting a company or you're working for a company, I think it's such a great message, quite honestly, Joan, to, to be out there and to be a positive catalyst for change, to really try to make the places where you exist better, to bring your voice and perspective, but bring it in a way where we all think holistically, how does this organization, this living, breathing organization that is a company, how does it merge the needs of the individual, which is you with the needs of the company, which is, uh, this, this entity as a whole. And, and oftentimes I feel like these are spiritual lessons too, because how you interact within a company very much replicates how you interact in the world and then how you interact even within your family. And as we all know, even in a family, you know, one person's health, one person's issues become everybody else's issues. And I see that in a company setting all the time. So this is such important information, you know, now for all those women out there who are striving and achieving and doing everything we're doing. Many of them are boss ladies in my power type book, but Ayurveda and Chinese medicine talks about the price of that. They talk about the health price of that, which we, we mentioned. And a lot of the tools you've talked about already, Joan, like visualization, accountability to your visions, creating your non-negotiables, being a positive catalyst for change. A lot of these can maybe be a safe harbor from you crashing and burning like we sometimes predict boss ladies will do because they're so busy just trying to get the goal. What are your top three kind of work and life hacks to make sure women, you know, don't violate their boundaries, don't, you know, give up on their non-negotiables and then don't ultimately present with a big health consequence because of these day-to-day minute by minute decisions they're making in their workplace, which ultimately are cumulative and can give you the diagnosis of a disease or mental health issue or so many other things along the way. Well, so it's interesting because I'm always thinking about what are these hacks, these life and work hacks that I'm encouraging of, of the women that I'm interacting with and companies and individuals that are reading Bigger Heels in, but also for myself. So I'll tell you my number one hack for myself. I've always been an early morning person. I was raised by 
you know, a mother that was a shift worker and, and had to be at work by 7 a.m. So I've always been up early and that got to be a challenge having two kids because babies wake up early. And so for me, like one of the biggest things is always making sure that my day is set up the night before, whether that's like stocking the, the coffee, it's laying out my gym clothes, it's um, laying out the kids, what they're wearing for school. Like there's just something about that for me that is, just helps me feel like my morning isn't too crazy because I need my morning to be centered. I do I'm do and I think about what's on the, my calendar for the day, the week, who I'm excited to meet, trying to do all those gratitude exercises. Um, the second, just to draw kind of attention to another story that's a hack in, in, in the book is um, Stephanie Epstein talks about having a SWAT team of mm-hmm. like people. If you're somebody that's a working mom that travels, and that could be made up of neighbors. It could be, honestly, like the person at the grocery store that you see. I live in New York City. It could be um, the, the mom that stays at home that I know is always at pickup so that if there is a breakout of light, if there's something crazy right. that happens at school and I can just give her a heads up that I'm traveling, she's going to be on it and telling my babysitter or trying to get a hold of my husband. That's SWAT team approach. Because I think boss ladies and, and you know, just women in general, we handle so much in our in our hamster wheel in our head that like having that team and leaning on them that's a huge hack um the third thing i would really say is this is i don't know if this is if you call this a hack but i've been really talking about this a lot lately is i feel Mm -hmm. like part of this good girl mentality that women suffer from in the workplace of you know be the certain way or don't speak up or um stand in line and that is also placed on our girls through the media and otherwise, that conflict management skills are what's missing. That helps you speak up. And so I'm constantly thinking about any situation that I get that in my stomach or there's something that I'm stressed out about just coming out and say, is it because there's some type of friction or something that's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable that I think I'm supposed to behave a certain way and I break it down? Like, I really think that that, for women right now, permission to think about and you know, kind of play it out in their head or actually take courses on conflict management would be such a huge hack for the things that we encounter at work and at home. Oh my gosh. I feel like we need to do a separate episode on conflict management (laughs) because I I do feel like women dread. I got to be honest. I do too. We dread conflict. We dread conflict. We dread confrontation. Uh, We take everything personally where we react often very emotionally rather than, you know, being very objective. And I just think it's because we don't have the skill set. Like we haven't been trained. You know what I mean? It's, it's amazing to see women in the workplace, but then we've got to have the toolbox and the skill set to be able to navigate the twists and turns without taking everything as a personal assault or a a personal affront. So I feel like I I could talk to you forever. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. going to say that the one thing I want to always say to women is, you know, you're not crazy. You're not emotional. There are there are 40 studies that were audited about women's decision-making skills. So I don't want women mm-hmm. to ever think that all the good things about us that help us cultivate relationships, be incredible leaders that are really building inclusive cultures, we actually are proven in most of those studies to have stronger critical decision-making skills and in, you know, kind of high-stress situations than men. The rest of the studies were all equal. 
So, but it's what you said. It's the tools, though. What overwhelms us is really sometimes the avoidance of handling the personal and professional situation. So we should run a retreat on it. I love that. I love it. And actually, I'm thinking a lot of retreats, so maybe we will include you in. Before I leave you, though, what are you seeing? We've entered, we've flooded the workplace. I think we're now like 60% representation in the workplace. What are you seeing in the wellness space and what are companies doing to adopt and slowly evolve and change? And and again, for everybody out there, companies like some of the ones we, we mentioned that you work with, they've been around for a really long time. So I'm sure like in my small company, change takes a long time. I'm sure in those larger companies... Change feels like a big, heavy piece of furniture that takes forever to keep moving. But what are you seeing? How are companies trying to mold and adapt and address the issues that women are bringing to them and then uh, merge it with the with the demand, the need for wellness? So I am really optimistic and excited about the future because of the women and men that I'm meeting in the workplace that are trailblazers in terms of being these you know, positive catalysts. And you know, I think that that's really important for everyone to understand is that I'm not the person that, that transformed the inner workings of those companies. It's these women and men, the trailblazers within, they're figuring it out. So, for example, I'm a She Believes champion for U.S. soccer, which means I help them work on content, help girls and women be successful on and off the field. Through that work, um, Deloitte has gotten on board as a sponsor, she believes. And I met Jennifer Fisher, who's the chief well-being officer. So she herself has a super cool story about how she navigated negotiating something that she valued, wellness, for a real position, an executive level position, because she felt that this was a critical need, skill set, you know, tangible aspect of being a great consultant at one of the world's largest, you know, companies, management agencies. So um, that I see a lot of companies taking this on and really giving, you know, tools, whether they're apps or live experiences or matchups with mentors, whether it's around, you know, leave experiences, onboarding back to work. There's so much happening there that I think these big companies, that's something that is the upside of having these global resources. Another great example is Amanda Apodaca. She works for Eli Lilly and Company, and she really spearheaded an advocacy program, and you can really learn step-by-step in um, Chapter 4 of of my book about how to do this in your own company, but it's basically teaching men and women how to be advocates for speaking up at work and disrupting the bias, but also changing the business, changing how you run meetings. And the reason why she leads this program is because she herself went through a health crisis with her son, and even though she works in a healthcare company, she felt like she couldn't talk about it at work. She couldn't share the things she was experiencing or frustrated with as a patient, as a mother, as a family member, and she felt like that perspective was lost. And that, again, this is a direct line to when you don't have women at every seat of the table, all the way up from the mailroom to the boardroom, you mm-hmm. can't hear how we're seeing things and you can't innovate from there. So those are the things that excite me is now that she created this program that's across a global organization of men and women just speaking up with their their perspective. Wow, what amazing information. So for all of you super women out there who are working it, your girl bosses, you're really, you got your nose to the ground and you're trying to make things happen. I think just a gentle reminder, have your toolbox ready, use some of these techniques that Joan has talked about. I think even I stress knowing your power type because that way you know your vulnerabilities, you know what your boundaries are or are not sometimes and how you can get in trouble. And again, my mission is to never see you get into a health crisis 
crisis or be anything less than what you were meant to be. Joan, thank you so much for joining me today. If someone wants to get in touch with you, if they want to use your wealth of knowledge, they want to get your book, what's the best way to do that? My uh, my website is www.joankuhl.com. It's J-O-A-N-K-U-H-L. You can find all the events. We have some exciting new trainings that are live in person, on demand, like drilling deep into these topics. And you can also get the book, Dig Your Heels In, Navigate Corporate BS, and Build a Company You Deserve. Everywhere books are sold, and there's plenty of links on my website. And my handle uh, for Instagram and Twitter is Joan Cool as well. So I have tons of resources that I really hope help women, you know, navigate the career and the life that, that they want. Fantastic. What an amazing, amazing guest today. Thank you guys all for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, which is now on Spotify as well. So go check it out. If you have questions about today's show, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Taz MD. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review and share it with your friends. I will see you all next time.